0: Would you pray with me, please? God, we are here this morning, um, whether we recognize it or not, um, Lord, in need of your grace. Uh, we're in need of being reminded of your love for us, that if we are rooted in Christ, if we are anchored in behind the veil, that that anchor will never become undone. And God, I pray that uh, as we, uh, as we uh, wade into this passage that is full of um, imperatives, God, I pray that we would be reminded of the indicative of your love for us, and that because of faith, In Jesus' finished work on the cross, uh, we are fully loved and fully accepted. But God, there is a a wake-up call in this passage. There's a warning um, for um, all who hear. So God, I pray that we would heed the warning this morning. We would not allow, that you would not allow the enemy to bring any condemnation God, I pray that we would invite uh, your spirit to, uh, to convict us in ways that we need to be convicted uh, by your holy, life-giving and transforming word. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. When I was younger, uh, we played a game called Simon Says. Um, some of you that are under 35 don't know that game because there's no app for that game. <laughs> but somebody would say, Simon says, pat your head, you'd pat your head. Simon says, jump up and down, and you'd jump up and down. A pastor, um, but here is this is what's interesting, is that um, what Jesus says in his word, we don't always feel compelled to obey. We might sit through a good sermon or uh, read through, uh, study the Bible, and leave there with maybe some, wow, well, that really was good. Or maybe find some nuggets, but we would leave after hearing the Word and studying the Word without a desire to be transformed by the Word. A pastor once told the story of how he asked his daughter to keep her room clean and organized. Some of you probably have heard this. The next week when he checked in on her room, nothing had changed. So he asked, why have you not cleaned and organized your room as I have asked? And she responded, but dad, I I memorized what you said. And I can even repeat what you said in Greek. My friends are coming over this week and next week and the week after so we can study what it means to clean and organize my room. This is the way we often respond to God's words, whether we know it or not. It should not be that way for those who have received and have been changed by the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Those who belong to God's family will have an increasing desire to hear his word, to trust his word, and to obey his words. When God's people hear God's word, we will have an increasing desire to heed God's word. When God's people hear God's word, we will have an increasing desire to heed God's word. And just because you're learning doesn't mean that you're obeying. I've titled the sermon Hear the Word. As Lynette was reading that, you might have noticed that maybe for the first time, it was kind of an aha for me when I was studying it, that the that hearing the word and heard the word and be careful how you hear the word is all throughout this parable of the sower or I might say that it's better called the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed. There is great encouragement in this passage for some of you and great warning in this passage for some of us. Jesus' last words of the parable are, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who, has, he who has physical ears to hear, let him hear. And then later in this sermon, at the end of this, today's passage, he says, take care then how you hear. So I want to right up front exhort you this morning to take care how you hear, that our the salvation for some depends upon it, and the joy for most of us depends on how we hear. In this passage, it's, it's, as I've looked at it now for the last couple of weeks, um, I've been really turned inside out because I'm a guy that grew up in a very legalistic background where I don't want to do anything just because I'm told to do it. I want to be compelled to do it by the indicatives of God's character and his love for me. And certainly that if we are just doing the word without understanding the indicatives of God's character and his love for us, it could lead to legalism. But I think we actually um, are out of balance on that. Um, Christians are called to heed the word of God, even when it's uncomfortable, even in the midst of trials. This parable today is for everyone who is present hearing the word of God. And I would further encourage you as we go to these four soils, these four hearts, to find yourself in one of these four soils. I want to encourage you to not think about like others and where they fit in these four soils, but where you're at. The way that grow in our relationship with God is to obey what we know. So we need to take care how we hear, and we need to remember that just because we're learning doesn't mean that we are hearing. How many of you have heard of the Hebrew word shema? A few of you have. Um, there is a great uh, video, about a three and a half minute video on the Bible project about the word shema or the shema. For thousands of years, morning and evening, the Jewish people have prayed the Shema as a way of expressing their devotion to the, Lord, to the Lord their God. And these solemn words were repeated week after week, day after day, year after year, as a call to carefully listen to and obey the voice of the Word of God. They're called the Shema. We see it in Deuteronomy 6 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The prayer is called the Shema because the first word of the prayer is a Hebrew word, Shema or hear. Shema is, is, a, is a very common word in the Old Testament. To shema doesn't simply mean to hear a voice or to hear a a noise. It means to listen up or pay attention. Furthermore, it means to respond to what you have heard. If you read through the Psalms and you listen to the cry of the psalmist as he pleads to the Lord for help, you'll often hear him say, hear me, O Lord, hear me, God. And what he's not saying is, God, like, listen to me. He's saying, God, respond to me, rescue me. A couple examples are Psalm 27:7. Hear, or Shema, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Psalm 61, one, uh, 1 through three. Um, Hear. Or shema my cry, O God, listen to my prayer, shema my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. The psalmist asked the Lord not simply to hear his cries, but to act or respond to his desperation. In ancient Hebrew language, there is a distinct word for, um, uh, for Obey. If you were to do a word search in the Old Testament for hear and obey, same word. The Hebrew word shema. Listening and responding are two sides of the same coin. So if you were to say, I will listen to you and obey you, God, you would say, I will shema and shema you. At the foot of Mount Sinai, after God's people been rescued from 70 years In captivity, God asks his people to shema him. Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey or shema my voice and keep shema my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. What he's saying there is that evidence that you belong to me is that you shema me. Not that you just listen to me or just publicly recite scripture, but that you shema it, you respond to it, you obey it. This is why when God's people were breaking God's covenant, the Hebrew prophets would say they had ears, but they are not hearing. They heard God's words, but they did not heed God's word. May that that not characterize us. May we this morning hear God's words, and may he give us a desire and the power to heed his words. I put forth a a bit of a roadmap because the way I'm going to go through this is potentially confusing. Um, We're first going to look at verse 4 and 9 through 10 together, and that part is the secrets of the kingdom of God. Next, we're going to look at four types of hearing, the four different soils, the four different hearts, and we see that in verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. Third, we're going to to, uh, look at verses 16 through 18, and we're going to be warned, take care how you hear. And then finally, verses 19 through 21, we're going to take a look at what a family hearing looks like. So context, uh, Jesus was traveling with his disciples. We saw that back in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Both men and women, he was going uh, through the cities and the villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. We see in verse 4 that a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him. People were attracted to Jesus. they, They wanted to hear his powerful preaching, and they wanted to see more of his awesome healing. We don't know exactly the location of this account, but we do know that people came from all over the region, from town after town, to hear the words of Jesus. If they didn't want to hear the words of Jesus, they would not have gathered. They would have stayed home. People were here, were in this place with Jesus to hear his words. Jesus was there to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, to sow the seed of the word of God for all to hear. In fact, all would hear, as we're going to see, but not all would shema, not all would respond, not all would obey. Jesus would speak in a parable that places all hearers into one of four categories. And that's true with us here today, that you are here and you are are characterized by one of these soils four different types of soil, four different hearts. Three of these soils or three of these hearts are characterized by self-deceiving religiosity that won't persevere over time. The fourth is characterized as those who respond to God's words by persevering and bearing much fruit. So let's first look at the secrets of the kingdom of God in verse 4 in 9 through 10. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. This parable can be found in verses 5 through 8. And then the explanation. He explains this parable to his disciples in verses 11 through 18. But I'm, um, I'm going to read the parable and Jesus' explanation a little bit later. I want to start first with um, verses 9 and 10 in order to understand why Jesus spoke in parables over 40 times in Luke, Matthew, and Mark. Not once in John but 40 times in Luke Matthew and Mark. The definition of a parable in the English dictionary is that it's a word picture. Parable comes from the word the Latin word para which means to lay alongside. So a parable is a story laid alongside a truth to demonstrate or illustrate the truth being presented. So verse 9 When when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, this is really important. He didn't explain to the crowds what the parable meant. He explained to his disciples what the parable meant. The disciples asked the meaning of this parable specifically. But before Jesus um, explains this specific parable in verses 5 through 8, he gives the meaning or purpose of why he speaks in parables 40 times in Luke, Matthew, and Mark. Jesus says this in verse 10. He said, to you, disciples, not the crowd, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, the rest in the crowd that are not my disciples, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. The purpose of Jesus speaking in parables, to put it simply, was to reveal the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God to his disciples and at the same time to conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of God to others. So the purpose of parables is to reveal to the disciples and conceal to others. Jesus reveals his word in parables as gracious mercy to some and conceals his word in parables in righteous judgment to others. In the way of this warning, Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And he quotes it as a warning of coming judgment. Isaiah was a prophet to the Jewish people. And Isaiah warned the disobedient people of God who were not living in Shema'ing God, they were just hearing the word. He warned them of coming judgment unless they turned and obeyed the covenant. So he says in Isaiah, uh, he, he quotes Isaiah 9 through 10, saying, um, Seeing that they may not see, and hearing that they may not understand. Isaiah pronounced judgment on, on God's people who repeatedly heard the word of God but had no desire to shema the word of God. The function of, the, of Jesus' parables was to enable those who had saving faith to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. And for others, again, it was a warning that their continually rejecting the rejection of God and his word would lead to a gradual hardening of their hearts. you may have noticed that Jesus is the only one in the New Testament that spoke in parables. Paul didn't, James didn't, John didn't, Peter didn't. And after his death, burial, and ascension, there's no more parables spoken because the secret of the kingdom of God is no longer a mystery. You see, it was a mystery to his disciples. He had to explain it. But the mystery of the kingdom of God is laid out here in the, uh, in the meta-narrative of Scripture. And the mystery is that one would come from the seed of King David. He would be born a virgin. He would live a perfect and sinless life and therefore becoming a, an appropriate um, substitution for our sin. A propitiation is what Scripture calls it. And he would willingly lay down his life. And he, and he who knew no sin became our sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And on the third day, he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. The secrets of the kingdom of God, the secret for entering the kingdom of God has been revealed. Romans 16, Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret, uh, secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The reason that we have uh, that we possess the secrets of the kingdom of God is so that we can enter the kingdom of God and in that kingdom of God we can, we can live in obedient faith to the one who saved us. Let's look at the four types of hearing, in verses five through eight and eleven through eighteen. Verses five through eight is the parable, and eleven through eighteen is Jesus explaining um, the parable to the disciples. First, it says in verse five a, Jesus says the um, he says uh, the seed is the word of God. Verse eleven, the seed that is being sowed is the word of God. There's one. There's one seed. There's only one seed that can bring salvation. Paul says in Romans that, that we're saved by hearing, in hearing what? By the word of God. So five a went out to sow his seed. Explanation verse 11. Now the parable is this: the seed is the word of God. In Hebrews 4:12, the author says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word will not return void. And God's word brings life or it brings death. It brings encouragement and it brings conviction. And evidence that the word of God has, been, has brought life in a person is in how we receive it and respond to it. Evidence that God's word has rooted in our heart is not necessarily studying it, but it's a desire to know it and a greater desire to live it out for the glory of God. We will shema the word of God when we have been transformed by the love of God. And before we look at the, the difference between the four types of soil that the sower's seed fell upon, remember what all four of these soils had in common. All of them, they heard the word of God. This is not talking about people on some side of the, uh, the earth that, that have never heard the word of God. This is for us in this time, in this place, in this city, in this state, in this country... Where people have heard the word of God. The first soil. We see it in 5b. And then we see the explanation in verse 12. 5b, the parable. And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path and were trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Explanation, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The word was sowed, it was preached, and it fell upon a hard heart. And these hard hearts are those who are deceived by the devil. It's the word, the hard heart, means that it, it, they, they heard it, but it stayed in their brain. It stayed in their eardrums and never took root in their hearts. I believe that this soil represents those like the Pharisees who knew the Bible, yet they rejected Jesus as God. And I believe that many of these people we see are, are highly educated and they're highly intellectual. They know the Bible and they have a form of godliness, but they lack power. We know people like that. Some of the most moral people that I know know the Bible, reject the Jesus of the Bible, and somehow they live a moral life, at least on the outside. Typically, this soil does not see their need to believe in a God who died for their sins because they don't think they're all that bad. Instead of believing that there are sinners in need of a Savior, they are deceived by the devil that humanity is basically good and that there's no need to be saved from sin. This may represent someone here today only God knows. You hear, but you don't believe. You, sit, you might even sit and listen to sermons Sunday after Sunday, and you take a certain comfort in hearing the Bible preached and explained, but you have no, no intention of trusting or obeying God and his word. The second and the third soils, are the most dangerous and deceiving, I think. The second soil, I've called it the emotional heart. The parable is, Jesus tells a parable in verse six, and some of the seed fell on the rock, and as the seed grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. He explains in verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, But these have no root. They believe for a while. In time of testing, they fall away. This time, the seed landed on a heart that received it with joy. And this joy is a purely emotional response for this particular soil. And the response was not rooted in a trust in the Lord for all their circumstances. And don't get me wrong, like, here, like if, if you are in Christ, that any time you hear the word of God proclaimed or you study it, it should bring forth great joy. When you're reminded of how much God loves you and accepts you, because of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that should produce great joy. But it's a joy that's rooted in truth, the truth of Scripture. Emotions aren't bad. In fact, our emotions are a gift from the Lord. But we can't rely on our emotions. They're not meant to lead us. Our emotions are great, and they're unreliable. those who are led by their emotions are not anchored in the truth of God's word. And when there is inevitable trouble in this world that they experience, they experience the trouble in this world, they fall away. Because somehow through that emotion, they were, they were duped into thinking that because they have professed faith in Christ that they now deserve a trial-free life. This is one of the dangers of what we call the word of faith movement. Where people are taught that that we are to have a trouble-free life. And that if you have any major trials or sickness in your life, it must be because of your sin. They teach that God desires to heal anyone who has a strong enough faith. And then lo and behold, when the cancer comes and the cancer doesn't go, you start to doubt your faith and you fall away because that's not the God that you emotionally put your trust in. This emotional bunch falls away because, quote, it didn't work. This is why we are slow in this church To baptize people, we want to see a credible profession of faith. But at the end of the day, it's, it's God who knows the heart. We don't know other people's hearts. But what proves a Christian is time persevering through trials So this emotional soil might say that if God truly loved me he would not be allowing this in my life. Therefore I will seek a trial free life on my own. Surely God wouldn't want me to stay in this marriage when it's so hard. Surely God You fill in the blank. Hearing the word of God should produce great joy. But the greatest joy that we can experience as Christians comes in the midst of walking by faith in the midst of trials. When we can look back and go, God took me through the storm and the fire. And then He's brought me to the, the, the cusp of another trial or another test. And I can look back on his faithfulness. And I can walk through this next cho- trial with joy, knowing that God is good and he is loving and he is sovereign. And yes, he will give me more than I can handle. I love this psalm, Psalm 16, 8 through 11. The psalmist, this is a psalm of lament, and he says, after lamenting, he says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. We just sang it, that there's a firm foundation, and absolutely there's going to be trials, but we cannot be shaken, we don't have to be shaken, because we know that God is holding us up. The third soil, after the emotional soil, the worldly heart. The parables in verse 7, and some fell among thorns. Some of the seed fell among thorns, and thorns grew up with it and choked it. Jesus' explanation, verse 14, "And and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is similar to the um, deceptive hearing of the previous emotional soil, but this one's a little more positive. It's not the trials of life that cause a falling away, but this distracted soil or hear chokes on his or, own, his, his or her own worldly appetite for the riches and pleasures of life. This describes me, the first time I heard the gospel. That I received it, there was some initial fruit. I was leading Bible studies as a 16-year-old. I was sharing my faith. And as I moved away from the home, and I started to get a taste of what the world can offer, I set my faith aside, and I pursued with everything I possessed the pleasures and the riches of this world. Thankfully, you see, if, if you're in one of these soils, if you see yourself in one of these soils, that, that that's not the end of the story. That the hound of heaven pursued me. And he loosened my grip on the pleasures and the riches of this world. And he gave me an increasing hunger for the pleasures and riches of the kingdom of God. The cares, riches, and pleasures of this life are not the problem. The good, there's, there's good gifts, good gifts of God that bring pleasure. And God's good gifts are not the problem. We're free to enjoy and pursue his good gifts. The warning here is against the unhindered pursuit of the gifts of God rather than an outright pursuit of the God who gives all good gifts. And the longer that we pursue the things of the world, we're in danger Of the seed of God's word being choked out. The fourth soil, I call it the Shema heart. Verse 8, Jesus expl- uh, tells the parable, and verse 15, he explains it. Verse 8, and some of the seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Explanation, verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Remember, all four soils hear the word. The difference between the fourth soil, the fruit-bearing soil, and all the others is that it describes the person who holds to the gospel with an honest and good heart and perseveres over time increasingly bearing good fruit. The good soil represents the one who hears the word and holds fast to it or retains it. An unknown author said this, when God's word is deliberately internalized, it will be authentically externalized. When God's word is deliberately internalized, it will be authentic, uh, authentically externalized. And the reason that happens is that the, the more that, that God's word uh, penetrates its heart, is we start to, it starts to become uh, who we are. We start to live it out. Those who hear God's word, those who receive God's word, um, hold fast to God's word. They will bear fruit with patience or perseverance is actually what that word means. What does it mean to receive it with an honest and good heart? Uh, we know from scripture that, that all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Jeremiah tells us that our heart is deceitfully wicked, that our heart can't be trusted. An honest and good heart is one that has been changed or is being progressively changed transformed by the Spirit of God and is truly open to conviction. It's holding their heart out to the Lord and saying, uh, like the the psalmist, um, search me and know me, O God. Try me and know my thoughts. This honest and good heart is a heart that is aware of its sinful tendencies, It invites the Lord to examine his heart. It doesn't just um, look at the word and studies the word, but invites the word to study his heart. James says that. He let the word be a mirror to our heart. An honest and good heart Knows that there's blind spots. An honest and good heart invites the word of God to transform, to convict. After these four soils, we go into verses 16 through 18 where we're given a warning of take care how you hear. And this, this seems out of place, verses 16 through 18, because it moves from seeds to light However, the conclusion in verse 18 will become obvious that the author placed it here on purpose. You know, Luke said that he, he wrote to give us an orderly account. Um, Luke's not the most orderly writer, quite frankly. Um, but, he, but he does put things together that are even chronologically out of order as far as the, the timeline. But he puts them together in an orderly manner so that they can make more sense to us verses 16 through 18, take care how you hear. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may may see the light for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. The whole reason that you set a lamp on a nightstand is so you can see by the lamp. You wouldn't light a lamp and put a basket over it so no one could see it. It's every bit as crazy to read or hear God's word and not heed God's word. The only reason that we read God's word is so that we can be transformed by God's word and obey it and be formed by it and be shaped by it. And when the light of the world has shown his light into the darkness of our hearts, it illuminates us. It, 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 it illuminates our heart. And it. in the form of obedience and good deeds. So, so if God has shining the light of, of his salvation into the darkness of your heart, it's going to manifest itself through, through good deeds, through proclamation, through obedience to his word. So he says then, verse 18, there's a warning, take care then how you hear. Take then, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, the one who has heard the word and shema the word, obey the word, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You see, the more that you're transformed by the Word, the more you will shema the Word. The longer you hear the Word without a growing desire to shema the Word, you are at risk of a hardening heart. If you come here Sunday after Sunday without pondering what God has for you in the Word, and you're just going through the motions, you're at risk of a hardened heart. And the harder our hearts get, the more difficult it becomes for the word to penetrate it. Now, God is so much bigger than that statement. But we see all throughout the word, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 6, again in Hebrews uh, uh, 12, I think, where there's this warning to not let our hearts be hardened. I want to give just a quick encouragement here. This passage in verses 16 through 18 about the lamp, not hiding the light that's been shown into our heart, but to live it out in, in obedience and good deeds, that it's a passage also on evangelism, It's a passage on shining the light of Christ on others to shine and share the love of Christ. If we go back to the four soils, one of the soils, the the seed that the sower sowed, the seed of of God's word that Jesus sowed, one out of four, 25% received the word and were saved. Now, God is not a God of odds. God is so beyond odds. But let's just say for a minute that, that the proclamation of the word throughout the world, that as we sow the, the, the seed of the word of God and it falls on different soils, and by the way, we don't know what kind of soils it's fallen on. That's not for us to judge. Our job is to sow the word. And there's one word. That's the word of God. But what if we were all in this church were to sow the word of God to four different people in the next 12 months. People that God has put us providentially in relationship with. And he only saves one of those four. That baptismal would never leave the platform. People are saved by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People are saved. People can't be saved by, through osmosis. They're saved by hearing the word of God, and we are the chief sowers. I want to finish with verses 19 through 21. And I know in my uh, map I called it a family hearing. In my notes here, I call it a family resemblance. I'll have to figure out which one works better for the next sermon. 19, then his mother and his brothers came to him. This seems so out of place again. As he was preaching, they might have been embarrassed. They were worried that that he was going to be killed. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you, Jesus. Jesus. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I'll say it again God's priority for us is not how much we study God's word or enjoy attending Bible study or discussing scripture in small groups. All good. All good. I don't want to get any texts or emails. All important. His priority is for us to hear it, to shema it, to do it. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hear and do. Hear and do. Hear and do. And what these two words indicate is continuous in repeated action. Jesus' brothers and sisters are characterized by what we do with the word of God, not how much we know. If we are hearing and doing, we can have assurance. People have said, I mean, I, I've lived enough life where I was, I, I was that second soil, third soil, when I was age 15. And there were others that received the word in the same way um, with me at this camp at age 15. And now in my 60s, I have friends that profess faith when they were younger. And there is no evidence through what they say, what they profess, and how they live their life That they are Shemaing the word of the Lord. So, can I look back on my friends who profess faith, who are pursuing the riches and pleasures of this world, who have fallen away because of the trials of life, who want nothing to do with Jesus? Can I give them assurance? that they belong to the family of God? Should they have assurance? It's not my job to give them assurance. The answer to that is absolutely not. What proves our salvation, what proves that we are family members over time, is that we have an increasing desire to shema the word of God. Just so I'm not misunderstood, that particularly if you are in one of the first three categories of distracted and deceived hearts, that you're saved by grace through faith. And the evidence that that grace has taken root is that you will have an increasing desire Over time, to know and to obey God's word. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that what compels him to obedience, you remember, is the love of Christ. So we need to be in the word. We need to be reminded. Like we talked about last week, that we are more sinful than we know yet we are more loved than we can imagine. And as we study God's Word and we see that one-string guitar all the way through it, if we belong to Him, we're going to be compelled to not only know the Word but to obey the Word. We'll be people of the Shema. So he who has ears to hear Let him hear. Let's spur one another on to not merely be hearers of the word of God who deceive themselves, but doers of the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this passage, a difficult passage for me to preach. And Lord, I pray that this word this morning landed on fertile and soft hearts. Hearts that have an increasing desire to submit themselves to your word. Not to gain anything, not to be loved or accepted more, but that we would have a growing desire to live a life of obedience to your word because we are fully loved and accepted. And Lord, I'd be remiss not to beg you, God, only you know hearts. Only you know hearts. God, I pray that there's even one here this morning that... um, does not have a transformed heart that still has a heart of stone, God, I pray that you and your providence, the hound of heaven, the God of salvation, that you would draw that person or however many there are uh, to yourself for your glory and your glory alone and for the joy of that person. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.